question that I would like to address this morning is when are you ready to join the church? When are you ready to join the church? And I would submit that the first thing that must have already happened is you must be born again. Before you were born again, the preaching of the cross is just foolishness to you. It sinks down no further than your earwax. Before you were born again, you were dead spiritually. You have no life. You speak and act and live out deeds the same way that the rest of the world does. Pursuing the lust of the flesh, pride of the eyes, your own vanity, anything that makes you feel good, that's what you're going after. That's what's described in Ephesians chapter 2. We could spend all day in the book of Ephesians for the sake of time. I'm going to read just a little bit. Ephesians 2 and 1, And you hath he quickened. Old school word means to be made alive. You he's made alive, who were, past tense, dead in trespasses and sins. What did it look like when you were dead? In time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. It's another name for Satan. You you walked after the same path that Satan did. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. Not now. Not after being born again. We all had that walk of the world in times past. And in that time we were filling the lust of our flesh the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We could have a whole sermon on total depravity. We've covered that several times recently, and so I won't. But, but God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love, wherewith He loved us, loved us even when we were dead in sins. He, who is rich in mercy, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. Grace is unmerited favor. You did not earn it. You had nothing to your account that was positive. And hath raised us up together. That is the new birth. That is causing you to be regenerated, new life. You've been raised up now. Raised up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. You are sitting together in heavenly places with Christ now. The fellowship that you have in Christ in the Spirit, that's what it's talking about. This is not talking about when you get to heaven, you're going to sit by Him up there. and No, this is now. You have been born again and you have spiritual life and you can commune with Jesus Christ. Why? Because of what He did. Because of the love that the Father had for you before the foundation of the world. He chose you and gave you to His Son, and His Son came and redeemed you by His blood. He paid for your sins. When you were born again, you become a new creature. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You are a new creature. You are no longer that old man. You have been made something new. Ephesians later in that would say that you were created unto good works. You were created to glorify your Father and to show His love by emulating His Son. Okay? So what is one of the first things that happens when you are born again? You've now been given spiritual eyes and for the first time you can see yourself. Before this time when you were blind you think you're pretty good. You can find somebody in your social experience who is worse than you. Well, I don't do that, therefore I'm okay. I don't do that, therefore I'm okay. And sliding scale, I mean, I'm sure Hitler could find somebody that he could say, well, I'm, at least I'm not like that guy. You may think that's, lap, you know, lap, whatever. That's what we did. That's what we do. We justify ourselves and say, I'm not that bad. I'm really okay. I'm a pretty nice guy. But when you are born again, you see for the first time, no, brothers and sisters, you are not. We should have the same vision and reaction that Job had. Job 42 and verse 6. Verse 5, I have heard of thee, this is Job speaking to the Lord, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore? I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job had a very close experience with the Lord. The Lord spoke to him out of the whirlwind. And where he had been previously lifted up in pride and demanding his audience with the Lord to vindicate himself, now all he says, I abhor myself. I hate myself. I see myself for what I am. A vile, wretched sinner, who comes nowhere close to the glory of God, and repent in dust and ashes. Similar experience that the prophet Isaiah would have, Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah is blessed with this vision of the throne room of God. Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. And then said I, this is the prophet Isaiah, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. 
and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom shall go for us? Then said I, Here am I. Send me. He got a glimpse of the Lord of hosts and his glory and his majesty and all he could say is, woe is me. He knew that he was unclean. He knew that he was not worthy to be there. And then the Lord sent one to cleanse him. In this case, it was the symbol of the coal that was touched to his mouth and took away the iniquity. And then the Lord asked the question, who shall I send? And after the Lord had done that work into him, Send me. I'm ready. When you are born again, you see both the righteousness of God for the first time and your iniquity for the first time. Your sin. Truly sin. If you cannot see your own sin, you have no need of a Savior. But when you can... Oh, what a precious thought it is to have a Savior and to know that someone loved you even in spite of knowing that. Of everything that you've done and said or didn't do, the spite, the malice that wells up in our naturally depraved hearts, He still loved you and still gave Himself, His pure and righteous self, for you. When are you ready to join the church? You must first be born again. If you cannot see your sin and need for a Savior and see the righteousness of God, and I'm not saying you're going to see it perfectly. We often have blinders. But once you can... And the next question is, are you ready to submit your whole life to Christ? You can be born again and not ready to submit. We call this term conversion, to be converted. The first one, regeneration, the new birth completely beyond your control. You have no say in it. That is an operation of the Holy Spirit. God does it on His own. Each of His children will have it at some point during their life. They will be born again. Your submission to God in your life, the laying down of your life, your will, your carnal desires, and putting His in front, submitting to Christ, You have to make that decision. You have to do that. And here's the kicker. You have to be willing to do that every day. You can't just do it once and say, I'm good. James chapter 4. I want to look at an example of those who were following Christ but had not yet submitted to him. Verse 
James chapter 4, it says, From whence? Where? From where come wars, battles, and fightings among you? It's right in under the churches. Where do the fights come from among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Here's a summary of them. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. They were trying to have it both ways. Okay, I want to claim to be a follower of Christ, but I still want to keep on good terms with the world. I want to have the things that I want. I want to lust after the things that I want. I'm going to get them. And guess what? It caused a lot of strife and division and warfare. Friendship of the world is enmity with God. Enmity means hatred with God. Hostility with God. If you're trying to be friends with the world and keep your foot in that door... You are hating God. Do ye think that the Scripture saith in vain, the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Now that's not talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't lust for envy. That's talking about your natural man. That spirit that you're dead in trespass and sin, your carnal nature, it lusts to envy. It wants what you can't have or what you don't have or what your neighbor does. You want it. Right? Ever get around a little kid and one's got the iPad and the other doesn't? They want it! And we laugh while we get gold up. Be like, man, that car's a lot nicer than mine. I sure would like it! Or fill in the blank here. But that is within us. That is what we have to constantly battle and put to death every day. But he, as God, giveth more grace... Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. The proud are those who are lifting themselves up. They're exalting themselves. I've got it. I've got it figured out. I can do this. I can do this on my own. I don't need God. I don't need you. Or I can claim God's on my side, but I really got it anyway. But rather, he resists them and gives grace unto the humble. The humble are the depressed, the couching down, the ones who see the truth. About themselves. The truth. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Are you ready to submit your whole life to Christ? All of it. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to you. All right. So these are people who have been warring, fighting, factions, describing them as adulterers and adulteresses because they're committing idolatry by having these idols within their life where they are cheating on God by putting them first. And what is he saying? He says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. You cannot have it both ways. You cannot say, I'm going to be a follower of Christ and then continue to walk in the old way. Cleanse your hands. That's what are you doing? Purify your heart, your mind. Cannot be double-minded. 
not having one foot over here in the world and one over here claiming to follow Christ. Verse 9 may seem strange to you. It says, be afflicted. And that basically means to recognize your own wretched condition. Rather than being lifted up with pride and thinking, I'm so great, see the truth. You are lowly. You are a wretch. Amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. How many times do we sing that song and we don't really believe that wretched part? Amazing grace, that sounds nice. We'll focus on that. Wretch. That's someone sitting next to me. Or someone who's not in the church. The wretch is us. Be afflicted and mourn. A mourn means to grieve. Grieving for your sins. Weeping means to sob aloud. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Because you see the truth. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. He shall lift you up. You don't have to lift yourself up. He lifts you up in a good way. Verse 11, speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Speaking evil of another. The word there is traducer. It's the same word that elsewhere is translated to Satan. To defame your brethren. Those who are not willing to submit. So where does submission really start? It starts with repentance. Repentance. If you go back to the beginning of Mark, you see at the very beginning of John the Baptist's ministry, people from all over are walking to see this kind of wild-looking man. A voice crying in the wilderness, saying, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem, and they were all baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. They were confessing their sins. They were coming to repent, to turn from them, not to just get wet and then continue to do the same thing. Over in Matthew, John would call out the Pharisees who came to see. They were kind of spectators. Matthew 3 and 8. Pharisees and Sadducees came unto his baptism, and he said unto them, O generation of vipers, you bunch of snakes, who's warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meat for repentance. Bring forth fruits, evidence, or right, or fit for repentance. It's not in word only. It's in deed. Okay? Now, what... If you're worried that you've done too much, if you're too far, can I really repent from the awful things that I've done? Go to Matthew chapter 9. 
Verse 10, It came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house, this is Matthew's house, Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. You can imagine in your mind's eye the worst folks that you wouldn't want to run into on a dark alley. Red light district personnel sitting down to eat with this master. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, they didn't say it unto him, Why eateth your master with publicans, those are the fraudster tax collectors, and sinners? You know they're excluding themselves from that, right? They're not sinners. These people are sinners. You can tell from how they look what they do. But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. He is the physician. He's the great physician. He says, But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What is the purpose Jesus came? Was it come, come to get the good folks? Once we're already good? Just good in appearance. He came to call <coughs> sinners to repentance. So can you do too much? No. Okay. You say, Brother John, that's kind of hard to believe. Okay? Let's get specific. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. Know ye not that unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, I looked up that word effeminate. Um, the direct translation is a canamite, which is a boy who is kept for lewd purposes. Nor abusers of themselves with mankind, that would be homosexual activity. Neither thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if you just stop there, you think, okay, well, that makes sense. Those are some terrible things. Those, they certainly can't inherit the kingdom of God. What's the next verse say? And such were some of you. He's given a list of the sins of those of the Corinthian church had been engaged in. That's a pretty vile, nasty, reprehensible list. And such were some of you. You cannot continue in those. By no means. But even these vile, nasty things, Christ's blood is powerful enough to pay for. How about old brother Paul? He was a murderer. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul speaking to young Timothy, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful 
putting me into the ministry. Now, was that because the Lord looked at Paul's resume and said, yes, this man will be faithful in my ministry. He's done such great work for me thus far. No! He was the biggest persecutor, or he was a terrible persecutor of the church. Going into homes and dragging mothers and fathers and children out to jail because they were followers of Christ. He's the one who was holding the coats when the mob decided they needed to go ahead and stone Stephen. Was Stephen a terrible fellow? What did he do? He confessed Christ, and he was one of the first deacons in the church. No hazard pay, Brother Parrish. I'm sorry. <laughs> Paul was there, holding the coats, consenting unto death. Verse 13, he says, Who was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious? Injurious, it's a great word. It means causing injury and harm to the church. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. If Paul had engaged in any of those things again after the Lord had called him on that Damascus road, it would be a very different story. So that call, you know, he was there. This is Acts chapter 9. We'll look at that account. It's given several times. Acts chapter 9, and in verse, let's start in verse 4. It's on the road. There was a light that shined round about him from heaven. He fell to the earth, heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? That's interesting, right? Remember at the end when Jesus is going to divide the sheep from the goats and he's going to tell one, you did good unto me, fed me, clothed me, visited me in poor. He said, when do we do that? When you did it the least to me. Same thing goes for persecution. When the Lord's children are persecuted, they're being they are persecuting the Lord Himself. Saul saw why persecutest thou me? That's how close the Lord is to His church. And He said, "Who art thou, Lord?" That'd be Paul. And the Lord said, "I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks." And He, trembling and astonished, said, "Lord." What wilt thou have me to do? He went from hearing to submitting really fast. It's not like that for each of us. <coughs> what will thou have me to do? He was ready to submit, and he did. And the Lord would explain to, I think it's Ananias who's going to come, who had heard about Paul being there and tried to talk the Lord out of it. No, don't send me to him. He's, he's a pretty bad dude. He's coming here to persecute us. And the Lord said, no, he's a chosen vessel. And you better believe I'm going to show him what things he's going to suffer for my sake. Paul, though a murderer, was still cleansed by the blood of Jesus and able to be put into his service very effectively, mind you. So, repentance. So that's where submission starts. After that, you need to be willing to submit to baptism. 
and to the authority of the church and to each other in the church. I'm going to look at 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5. read the first 10 verses. This is a good summary of the dynamics or hierarchies or roles within the church itself. The elders which are among you I exhort, I charge, I implore, who am also an elder, and a witness of the suffering of Christ, and, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed... So these elders, here's what I exhort. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Feed the flock. That's the primary responsibility of elders and pastors is to feed the flock. That's what we're trying to do this morning. Taking oversight thereof, not by constraint. This describes how a pastor should lead the church. It is not to force the church. That word oversight there is more like an overseer giving diligent watch and attention over. In the image we have of the under-shepherd, Jesus being the great high shepherd, you have an under-shepherd who is there watching over the sheep, trying to lead gently, not by constraint, not taking each sheep and putting them in a headlock and say, we're going this way, but by pointing out the way and by being an example. Not by constraint, but willingly, voluntarily. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Not here to fleece the flock, but of a willing mind. Neither being lords over God's heritage. There's a very big difference between being an overseer, one who is diligently watching over the flock and one who is trying to lord over the flock. So it is not being a hard taskmaster or being lifted up in your own pride or vanity or glory, but rather you're the servant of all and you have to be the example to each one, be an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Okay, so that first exhortation was to the elders. Next, likewise ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. And so after you started your submission by repentance and you're willing to submit to baptism, you have to submit to the church itself and to each other. And it is not for our individual pride that we're here, but rather we become just a member of a greater body. Not for the body to serve us, but for us to serve the body. And ultimately the head of the body is Christ. And he's who we're looking to in each of those examples. <laughs> And when we get lifted up with pride, we make things hard. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. 
Same message from before. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. It's a good reminder. Regardless of the adversity you're going through, you can still cast your cares upon him. He's big enough to handle it. You and I are not. And he cares for you. Not only is he capable of handling it, he cares for you. Be sober. Be vigilant. Well, this is all still in the context of this, this church. Be sober. Be alert. Be clear-headed. Not filled with drunkenness or distraction. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Who do you think he's most likely to devour? Those who are not sober and those who are not vigilant. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. No, you're having a hard time. Congratulations, you are not unique. These same afflictions are going against all your brethren, all the followers of Christ. That you will have trials and tribulations, and yet he still is there for you, and he still cares for you. Okay? So if you've been born again, and you're ready to submit your whole life to Christ, and you recognize your need of a Savior, you're repenting of your sins, you're confessing your faults, you're ready to submit to baptism and to the church, and once you do start to follow Christ, it just gets harder. In a way, there's peace knowing you're doing the right thing. But in many ways, it gets harder. It's easy to be lackadaisical. It's easy to just go along. It's easy to do whatever you feel like. It takes discipline. It takes courage. It takes zeal and energy to do the right thing even when it's hard. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and he said to them all, this is Jesus speaking, If any man will come after me, follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. In a sense, you were letting your life go. You were sacrificing that old life that you had before and saying, I'm willing to put it away and I'm going to follow after my Lord. I'm going to take up my cross, which implies trials, right? The cross is not a symbol for wealth and health and you know, whatever, insert prosperity doctrine garbage here. It's a symbol of suffering. <laughs> that you'll be cast out from men You'll be rejected. You'll be defamed for his sake. Take it up daily. Deny yourself. Follow him. Follow him. Okay? Continues on in this uh, chapter. Down in 57. Came to pass that as they went their way, a certain man said unto Jesus, Lord, I will follow thee wheresoever thou goest. Well, thanks for announcing that, Baba. Why didn't you just 
follow along and show it. He's bragging. Right? I'm going to follow you wherever. Lift it up in pride. Lord, hey, come pat me on the back. I'm willing to go. And what does Jesus point out? There's going to be difficulties. I'm not going to any particular spot. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. This isn't just a quest, and then we get there, and everything's good. This is a lifetime commitment. When you join the church and submitting to Christ's authority over your whole life, it is for life. Jesus said unto another, Follow me. But he said, uh, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. I would, but I have this conflict. It's an important one. My dad only dies once, so I'm going to go deal with that, and then I'll come. Even there, no. Let the dead bury their dead. Who's the dead referring to? The ones who are spiritually dead. Ones who are dead in trespasses and sins, the one who cannot see Christ, who have no desire to follow him and can't have a desire until they're born again, he says, let them deal with that. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Is this high stakes? Yeah. Do we treat it too lightly? Yeah. Yes. Another said, Lord, I will follow thee. I'm going to. But let me first go home and bid them farewell, which are at home in my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand in the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. And our carnal self says, Jesus, that seems pretty harsh. He just wants to go say bye to his folks, right? But what is Jesus calling out here? The double-minded man. The one who kind of wants to follow, but like Lot's wife, really is still looking back at what it was before, and we like to have some of both. Follow him. Follow him. Follow him. Avoid making excuses and follow him. Forward to Luke chapter 14. Verse 25. There went great multitudes with him, and he turned and he said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father. You may say, this is really harsh. That word hate means to love less. Okay? If you don't love your father less than God. We'll continue on. If any man come to me and hate not his father, his mother, his wife, his children, brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. If you do not love all those things less than Christ, you cannot be his disciple. Why? Because you already have a master in your life that's more important than Christ. It is an idol in your heart that you're unwilling to dethrone. You cannot be his disciple. A disciple means Christ is first in all things, regardless of how close the connection around you that would hinder you. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What's that mean? Can't, can't just mean I sit here on the sideline and say, yeah, I'm on your team, Jesus. Y'all have fun. 
It's a contact sport. You got to pick up your cross and affirmatively follow him. Apply it into your life. This is not just hearers of the words, we're doers. For which of you intending to build the tower sitteth not down first and counteth up the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? I bet you a dollar that Brother Will, when he had to build his hay barn, knew how much it was going to cost before he started. No? Brother Will, when he built his hay barn, should have sat down and counted up the cost before he started to make sure he had enough. Lest after he's laid the foundation and not be able to finish it, and all behold it and begin to mock him and say, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Say, what does that building have to do with following Christ? It says, count the cost now. Before you start this journey, is this worth it? Because if it's not, don't start. You're not ready to submit to him. He gives another example of a king going to war with another king, and he's got a few troops, and the other guy's got a whole lot more, and he's got to make a decision. Can I whoop him with less, or do I need to send an ambassador to try and make some peace terms? He's trying to count the cost of what he can do beforehand. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Whosoever should not be that forsaketh all that he hath, if there's anything that you're holding nearer and dearer in your heart and you're not willing to lay down at the cross, put into his service, you're not ready to be his disciple. Or, if you've already started down that journey and you started picking that stuff back up, put it down again. Deny yourself daily. Take up your cross daily. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Starting in verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. That constrain means to bind us. How are you held together as a church? The love of Christ. That's what constrains us. That's what binds us together. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. We were all dead in trespasses and sins. One died, Jesus. And that he died for all, that being all of his children, both Jews and Gentiles, that they should live not henceforth unto themselves. They've been made alive so that going forward they no longer live only unto themselves. That's what you were doing before when you were dead. But instead, what you do? You should live unto Him which died for them and rose again. You live for Christ because of Christ. Wherefore, because of that, henceforth, we know no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth we know him no more. We are not giving preferential treatment to anybody. 
where they've got the perfect you know, genealogy and pedigree under the Jews, under the flesh, doesn't matter. We know our brothers and sisters by the Spirit that lives within us, that love of Christ, that's what binds us together. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Right? This is the context for that earlier verse. He is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. He has made the peace between us and him by Jesus Christ. He's reconciled us to himself. And now hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation to go and tell and teach about this reconciliation that Christ has done. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation, this gospel of reconciliation. He did not impute your sins unto you, because they were paid for by Christ. They were put on Him, and you were made free. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. That is your role. You are an ambassador of Christ. You are a representative of Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, so it's like you're standing, speaking on behalf of Christ, and you're imploring, you're exhorting, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled, to God. Well, what do you mean be reconciled? You just said we were reconciled. Yes, God reconciled you to himself. Now, you reconcile your life to him. This reconciliation has nothing to do about your eternal destination. This has to be with he is holy and has called us to be holy. If you're going to be a follower of him, be ye therefore holy. Reconcile yourself. This is that repentance, that daily repentance Dying to self, putting down the old man, picking up the new, taking that cross, and trudging on. Reconcile yourself to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So your sin wasn't imputed unto you, but his righteousness was. It was given to you free. That's what we're doing here. That's what we're going to be doing for the next 20 years, Lord willing. Unless he'd like to come back first, that'll be fine. Be lovely. And the cares and sorrows will be over. But for now, as long as we're here, we've been given tasks. And all of it's for him, to serve him, to put him first. He's not second in our lives. Can't be. Can't be third. Certainly can't be a distant fourth. First. All the time. And your flesh is going to want to get in the way. Every day. You're going to have temptations that you want to give into. That your flesh wants to give into. Know that with each one, he's prepared a way of escape. You are not in bondage to sin anymore. You were, at one point, sin was your master when you were dead. But now that you are alive, you are free. Amen. You are free. <clears throat> there is no sin that has hold over you that has not been broken by Jesus. 
those chains have been broken. This is the truth. This is what we rest in. Be assured of it. Thank you.